Why don't you rise for the reading of God's Word? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have a cell phone on, please turn it off now. I also want to let everyone know that we don't pass a plate here at Calvary Chapel. There's an offering box in the back, in the back. By the way, I also want, as they're passing out the Bibles, I also want everyone to know that during this sermon, there is someone in a back room translating the message into Spanish. And so if you know anybody who does not, you know, English is their second language or they have difficulty understanding English and you want them to come in and hear the word of God, please invite them. We have a, a headphones that the ushers hand out and there's a translation service that we have. And so I uh, want to get the word out about that. But we are in Luke and we are in chapter 21 and we have been in Luke for a while now going chapter by chapter through the Bible. And we are in verse 5 of Luke uh, 21. It says this, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. But that means an ornament. It had ornaments all over the place in the temple. He, Jesus, said, These things which you see, the days will come in which you not... The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of heaven, for the certainty of heaven to those who believe. And we also thank you for the hope, Lord Jesus, of your coming, your return. You promised that you would return. And Lord, this whole chapter is filled with information that you put here so that we would be informed about your return, so that we would hope for it, expect it, be encouraged by it, be strengthened by the thought, the certainty of your return. Lord, for many of us, Lord, and I speak to my own heart as well, this is not a subject that we are as familiar with as many subject in the Bible. Your return, Lord Jesus, and yet you talk about it over and over. I pray that our heart will become filled with your word about this this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So at this point... Jesus is only a few days away from being crucified. He is in the courts of the temple. He has been teaching there. He came in just a few days prior to this time riding on a donkey along with huge crowds who were really shouting with joy. Shouting with joy because they had recognized that Jesus was the one who was prophesied throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. And wow, he, he was among them. And this was, this was just incredible. The, 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 it, words could not, uh, words, there were no praise things to describe the, the, the praise that was in their hearts that, that the Messiah was in their presence. He was right there with them. I mean, the prophecies about Jesus had been written 2,000 years before, 1,000 years before, 500 years before, and here he was. They were shouting, praising God. They were waving palm branches. They were throwing their clothes on the, the path before him. Lest this king be on his donkey just walking on a stone path. 
that would be dishonorable. So they threw their clothes on the path before him. But when he got to Jerusalem, there were many who did not receive him well at all. And there were many different kinds of people in Jerusalem, different groups. And he had many different groups that just took great offense, just offended at him. These different groups, normally they were enemies with one another. Uh, these, they rarely ever worked with each other. They looked at each other as, as again, as enemies, as people who were in the way of, of what their agenda was in life. But man, when Jesus showed up, these people got together and they came against Jesus. There were Pharisees and scribes. Now, this particular group was extremely stern religious group. There were Sadducees who were rich, often very educated, not into the religious scene. You know, be religious, but just don't get too worked up about it. That's what the Sadducees were. They were coming against Jesus. There was a group called the Herodians, and they were a group that really, they looked more to government than to God as a solution for their life. Nothing's new under the sun. We have all three groups today. When you follow Jesus, you will find people of so many different backgrounds and philosophies and persuasions criticizing you, maybe even coming against you or mocking you. And so all of these groups, they're coming against Jesus. In chapter 20, they, would, they were actually teaming up with one another, coming to Jesus plotting against them, they would ask him questions, trying to get him to say something that would get him into trouble, either with the authorities or with the masses. They failed miserably. And they finally stopped their questions. And after they did, he made this declaration. It was his final public declaration to all of them of, on the subject of who he was. It was his final statement of who he was. They were doing everything to try to undermine him and to poke holes into what his claims are and what his disciples claimed him to be. And his final statement of who he was, it was in uh, verses 41 through 44 of chapter 20. He tells them, he says in so many words, he says, please, please, please understand when you reject me, which obviously you are, understand who you're rejecting. You're rejecting not only someone who is the son, a descendant of a human being, you are rejecting God, the son of God. That's his final declaration as to who he was. Now, the next verses, verses 46 and 47, he brings out to the people who were around him the real reason that people were coming against him. So there were people confused. Why would anybody be rejecting this man? The signs have he's raised people from the dead. Recently, he had raised Lazarus. He had healed the blind. He had the lame had walked. Why would anyone reject them? And the, to the people who were confused about that subject, he says in verse 46, he tells them why. Beware the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. They devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, they make long prayers. In other words, the real reason they're rejecting him is because they love power and they love money. And it could be better said, and he is, Jesus said this earlier in the Gospel of Luke, really the reason they are rejecting me is because they love their life. To the exclusion of God, they love their life. They, a better way of saying it is they idolize their life. 
Their own life has become an idol to them, to the exclusion of God. And so he brings out the real reason that all these different kinds of people were rejecting them. It it really is about man laying hold of his own life and saying, this is mine, this life is mine to do whatever I please. It was, it was greed. It was a love of self. And so a couple weeks ago, as we were going through those verses, you remember we put up this verse as a warning to all of us, you and me, do not love the world or the things in the world. The danger of loving this world is no small danger. You will reject God. You will reject the God of the Bible. And so at the beginning of chapter 21, it says Jesus looked up. He's in the temple grounds. He looks up and he sees the rich putting their offerings into the offering box. And then he sees a a widow do the same thing. She puts her offering in. And what he says next is, I believe, again, he's making the statement of why people were rejecting him. He says in verse 3 of chapter 21, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of, uh, speaking of the rich, for these out of their abundance, meaning out of their leftovers, they've put in offerings to God. But she, the widow, out of her poverty, put in all her livelihood. She put in her life. I don't necessarily mean, think that means she put in every single possession she had at that time. It's just she's, she's giving from the first fruits. We discussed this last week from the book of Malachi. She's giving of her life. They gave their leftovers, and they were keeping all the, everything else for themselves. That, that's, that's what defined their, their life, their religious life. But this widow, she was the real thing. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because so many of the poor get it. They're not looking at their possessions as an idol, as their life, but they have no other choice but to look to God. And so then, after this, in verse 5, it says this. This is where we began this morning. Then... As some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And, and, and so, uh, and, and, and so he, he's basically, he, he's saying there, that uh, all this stuff, all this abundance, all these wonderful things that people really put value in, they're all going to be torn down. And isn't it interesting in verse 5, it says, then some, then some spoke about the temple and how, how, how beautiful the stones were and all these wonderful gold ornaments. There were ornaments that were draped Gold ornaments that were draped over the walls that princes and kings and queens, they've actually identified who some of these kings and queens were. They, they would donate to the temple and they would be on the walls. And, and, and wow, you know, so you know, the, the people right after Jesus, right after he's telling them, more or less, do not love the world or the things of the world, these people are like, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's really nice. Look at all these wonderful things here. In other words, they didn't get it. Jesus, I'm encouraged personally by the fact that many times Jesus was so clear with the disciples in his teaching, but they just didn't get it. They didn't get what he was really about or even what he was teaching. That's how I am many times. The Lord, I'm so hard-headed. It takes a while for the for the Lord to get into my head. It's like the disciples at the Last Supper, the Last Supper, right before he was arrested, they were arguing which of them would be the greatest or which of them was the greatest. I'm the greatest. 
I'm the most spiritual person. I deserve to be in the most prominent king uh, position. They didn't get it. Jesus had just told them, here is why these people rejected me. They're so in love with the world. Here is why these people rejected me. Look at these rich, they give out of their, uh, out of their leftovers. This widow gives their life. I want your life. I want your life. I want your life. That's, the, that's what God is telling you this morning and me. He wants your life. God wants your life. But sometimes that's not enough. It wasn't enough for these guys because the next thing they're saying is, oh, that's true, I get it, Jesus. Really cool, I like that message. Wow, look at these beautiful stones. Some of these stones actually were gilded with gold, meaning they, were pla- they literally had plaster of gold. Herod, who wasn't a, a believer in God at all, but he wanted to make a name for himself, actually covered many of these stones with gold. And so now Jesus between now and the rest of the chapter, he's really going to clear things up for them. He's going to make sure that if they don't get it, well, now they will. Now they will. Because the next thing he says is, verse 6, these things which you see, these huge stones, these magnificent stones, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, if that didn't get their attention, I don't know what would have because Herod's temple was one of the most extraordinary structures on the face of the earth at the time. It was built with hundreds of stones, 36 feet long, seven feet thick, and they weighed 50 tons. It was just one of the wonders of the ancient world that these It's kind of like Stonehenge, how they were even able to get these things in place. They use this fairly, what we would think of modern engineering practices to get these stones on top, 50-ton stones. Archaeologists have found one stone beneath the Temple Mount, which was part of the foundation, 600 tons. These massive stones. And... Jesus says there will come a time when every one of these stones will be thrown down. That's what he is saying there in verse 6. And not one of them will be left upon another. And that would have just seemed as ridiculous as saying southern Manhattan and New York would be flattened someday. I mean, it would have just been inconceivable that those stones would be ever brought down, but they were. Forty years later, the Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, just as Jesus had predicted in an earlier chapter, and they destroyed Jerusalem. Now, you may ask, well, why would they have even taken the time to remove all the stones? (laughs) I mean, why take the trouble Well, ancient historians, including Josephus, explain two reasons. One, again, they were gilded with gold all the way around. That's how much of a strange guy Herod was. He built this temple, and he put gold even where you couldn't see it. The Roman soldiers at that time, remember, soldiers were allowed to go in and take booty which was whatever you could find, it was yours. And so they actually took the time to take all these, just remove all the stones, and, and even, they even dug up some of the foundation. In addition to that, Josephus records that the, the dome of the temple was also gold, and when the fire was burning the temple down, the, the gold actually dripped down into the cracks of the stones. So all the stones were removed, every single one of them. And again, a central message and a message you need to, that he's trying to get inside of their hearts and at this point is this. It's, what is it? It's, do not love this world or the things of the world. And that same verse in John, 1 John 2 says, the world and its desires pass away, 
but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The world and its desires pass away, even 50-ton stones. So now he really, really gets their attention. He really, really gets their attention. And so instead of just carrying on like they did before, not fully understanding, they, they say in verse 7, so they asked him saying, well, teacher, what will, what, but when is this going to happen? I don't want to be around when this happens. I mean, you can only imagine how extreme the calamity will be when stones, 50-ton stones are being removed. I don't want to be around when that happens. So they asked them, teacher, but when will these things be? And what, will, what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? The book of Matthew adds this. What will be the sign of your return? What will be the sign of your coming? Now, from now at this point to the end of the chapter, Jesus is going to answer those questions. What is going to be the sign or what's going to happen right before this temple gets destroyed? And two, what is going to be the sign? What's going to happen just before Jesus returns? That's what the rest of the chapter is going to be about. Jesus had told them that he would die, that he would die, he would raise again, and he would return. They don't, they're not going to fully understand what that means until after he's resurrected. But here they are asking him, look, we want to know, when, it, when are you going to return? What's going to happen prior to that time? Now, important, at this point, the disciples are probably, actually almost certainly thinking, these two events are going to happen at the exact same time. At the time, the, the stones in the temple are all going to be destroyed, and the time of Jesus' return is going to be the same time. Now, we know that that was not the case. But at the time, they're assuming it. However, and this is important in order to understand this chapter, many different commentators have have come up with different conclusions about this particular chapter. But I think one of the things in order to understand it, it's important to understand this thing. The signs, those things that will happen right before the temple would be destroyed would be a foreshadowing of the things that would happen just prior to Jesus' coming. Is everyone following with me on that? Those of you who have been going through the Old Testament prophets on Sunday night, it's the same thing. Many times the prophets would prophesy one thing. There would be a near-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. So put it another way, the rest of this very important chapter, chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus is going to be speaking prophecy. He's going to be giving prophecies about the future And the same prophecies would have a near-term fulfillment and also a long-term fulfillment. In other words, the very same prophecy would be fulfilled two different times. One time prior to the time the temple was destroyed, which was just a few years from Luke chapter 21, and another time just prior to Jesus' return. One small example. Later on in this chapter, Jesus speaks of a time when Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies and many Jews would be killed by the armies. That's exactly what happened a few years after this chapter. But the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and the book of Daniel both say a very similar thing is going to happen with the Jews right before Jesus' return that there would be violence, an army, if you will, unleashed against the Jewish people. So important that you understand that principle in order to understand this chapter. Many people get really confused that they, as they get into this chapter because things seem, wait, is he talking about what happened like a few years later? Or wait, then he, a few verses on, it looks like he's talking about something that's going to happen a thousand years later or two thousand. The answer is both prophecies 
uh, the same prophecies fulfilled two different events. So, last thing before we start going through these next verses in this chapter where Jesus is talking about his second return. I want to put up a verse now. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Very important verse to understand in order to uh, understand this chapter. It says this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So anyone who's ever seen a woman in labor, and maybe, woman, you are a person who's been in labor, the imagery is important. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That means since Adam and Eve fell and decided to sin, not only were human beings affected by it in a negative way, the entire creation was affected by it. The birth pain, the, the, the pains, the difficulty of just living in the world, it, it, it's speaking of groans and labors. And by this I mean wars, natural disasters, famine, pestilence, violent conflicts, and, and, and sort of people deceiving spirits or, or people going out and trying to deceive the, 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 the world. That's what it referenced to when it says the whole creation, even creation itself, groans and labors with birth pangs as a result of the fall. Now, what does every woman and father, I hope, know about labor pains, birth pangs? They increase as time goes by. So all the things in this chapter, um, there's a principle that they will increase up into the time of Jesus' return. They will increase up until the time of Jesus' return. But, but with all that having been said, you know, there's a lot of really heavy things in this chapter. But Jesus is going to be describing false messiahs, wars, violent conflicts, natural disasters, famines, pestilences. But remember how he set his disciples up for this teaching. He set them up with what? He set them up with that central message. What was it? Do not love the world or things in the world. Do not do it. In, in order to survive... What, in order to survive the, the, the labor, the groaning and labor pains that are just a natural part of life, do not love the world or things in the world. Now, as we said a couple weeks ago, that doesn't mean you don't enjoy the world. Uh, the, the, the Bible says in Psalm 115, 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. To what? To enjoy. The more we understand the, that the fact that God has given us the world for our own enjoyment, the more that we will praise him. He wants us to enjoy the world. He doesn't want our hearts to get rooted in it, though. So the principle, as we go through this chapter, Jesus, it, actually, this chapter, it, rather than make us fearful, he, he's, he's, he's really teaching all this, what's going to come here in order to encourage us and strengthen us, and, but throughout we have to understand the principle, do not love the world or things in the world, rather look forward to my return. Another verse here says this in Titus, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how it calls Jesus God here looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to, and to that verse, I want to add this last verse here from Colossians. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So follow me now. Jesus is going to go through all these things that will happen prior to his return. 
And what he has set up his disciples to do is through, when you see all these things happening, and many of them are not good, you need to keep these three things in mind. Do not love the world or, th- or the things of the world, and you look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. If you keep those three things in mind, you will be able to withstand anything, anything. Look at verse 19, very quick. It says, by your patience, possess your souls. What What on earth does that mean? What he's saying there is when trials and afflictions happen, which they will prior to Jesus' return, you patiently endure remembering the word of God, which says, do not love the world or things in the world. Look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of your Lord Jesus Christ and don't seek things of the world. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. You do that and you will possess, you will keep your life, you will keep your mind. The Bible says God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You will keep your soul at rest. So with all that, Jesus begins to describe in verse 8 the things that will happen immediately prior to his return. And again, many of these things, most of these things happened prior to the time Jerusalem was destroyed just a few years after this chapter, but they also describe what's going to happen prior to his his return. Verse 8 says this, and he said, take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, therefore Do not go after them. So he says, one of the things that you will see, and it'll be like birth pangs, it'll get more and more and more frequent, are kooks setting a date, a year, a month, and a day of when Jesus will return. And he says, don't be drawn after them. But as you see it, like birth pangs happening more and more and more frequently, you know the time of my coming is near. Verse 9. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Why? Because you're not loving the world. You're looking for the blessed hope of the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you don't seek the things of the world. You You seek things which are above. Do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. In other words, prior to his return. But the end will not come Immediately, he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And so we have seen just in the last hundred years, there have been more people killed by wars than people killed by wars in the previous, uh, actually, there's been more people killed by wars just in the 20th century alone than all other centuries combined. And so could that be birth pangs that are increasing and increasing? Also, nation will rise against nation. World War I and World War II were the first world, world wars. There was no such thing before. People didn't even know people existed on the other side of the world. But he says, but, but, but important, as these things happen, as these three things happen, remember, by patience, possess your souls, meaning just remember, do not get your heart rooted in the world. Be encouraged because even as they're happening, your Lord is coming. So don't seek the things of the world, seek the things that are above. Seek the things which, uh, which are above. Let's go to verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, 
you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will, not, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. So they're going to be brought before criminal tribunals for believing in God. He's telling them that that would happen. And he's telling them that's going to happen and it's going to happen in increasing frequency prior to my return is what he's happening. In verse 13 says, it says, but listen, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony, meaning you're going to use it rather as an opportunity to faint from fear. You're going to use it in order to glorify my name, in order to establish a testimony about my name. Verse 14 says, Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And so you can imagine the amount of fear that a person may have if they are brought before a criminal, uh, you know, a judge in a criminal proceeding, or even worse, before whatever, Congress, or before uh, a, a large gathering of people, in order to, what, you know, what am I going to say? Can you imagine having to sleep and get a good night's rest prior to the time that you know that you're going to be appearing before like a panel of people who are going to be drilling into you about your faith. He's saying, look, on this particular occasion, don't, don't worry what you're going to say. <laughs> and it, it's, by the way, it's Sunday school teachers, it's not saying you're not supposed to prepare for Sunday school the next day. It's not saying that. It, it, you know, I know those kids are terrifying, but they're, they're not, you know, something like this. Uh, uh, it, 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 you know, the Bible says we're supposed to be diligent to prepare every single message that we give. But man, when it comes to going before a tribunal of, of people who are going to be persecuting you and, and asking you questions about your faith, just forget about it. Rather than sp stay up all night in fear, tossing and turning all night, you can say, hey, Jesus told me I don't even have to worry about what I'm going to say. I'm just going to show up. And if you've never re read the book, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's just wonderful examples of this throughout the book. I believe we have that in the bookstore. I'm just going to read one of them. During the second century, the, the bishop Polycarp, he was the bishop of Ephesus, same Ephesus that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. He was arrested and brought to the Roman arena to die in front of a cheering uh, crowd, the crowd where they would let beasts and lions in and they would uh, rip people to shreds and they would have uh, crowds there um, looking on. It says the governor pressed him hard to renounce Christ and spare his own life. Polycarp replied, for 86 years, I have been Jesus' servant, and he has never done me wrong. How could I then blaspheme my king, Jesus, who saved me? The governor warned that he had beasts in cages ready to come out and rip him to shreds. Polycarp said, call them. I can, and then they said, that the governor said, well, I can burn you with fire. And Polycarp replied, the fire that you threaten burns for a time and is soon extinguished. There is a fire you know nothing about, the fire of judgment to come and the fire of eternal punishment, the fire reserved for the ungodly. But why do you hesitate? Just do with me as you want. And so the governor shouted to the crowd that Polycarp had not renounced that he was a Christian and they shouted that he must be burned alive and they quickly collected the wood just before it was lit, lit he prayed thanking God that he had been counted worthy for that day to partake in Christ's cup of suffering and then the fire was lit 
he stepped into and he was put on it and he stepped into the presence of the Lord. Earlier this month in, in uh, North Vietnam, I don't know if you saw this, 80 people were lined up in 10 different cities, eight people in each cities, before a large stadium of people and they were executed with, with uh, machine guns. The stadiums, again, were filled with people. Their crime was they had been, uh, some of them had been watching videos that had been, uh, that had been smuggled in from South Korea, but others, it was just having a Bible. That was just possessing a Bible, the possession of a Bible. That's just earlier this month. This is real. This is real, and it's happening in the world in, in, in dozens of countries all around the world. In the nation of Somalia, and this is happening increasingly, in, 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 it's happening in, in Pakistan, it's happening in northern Nigeria, and it's happening uh, in other parts of the world. They are just hunting you down, even if you call yourself a Christian, and killing you. That is what is happening right now. So Jesus is, is making the point, rather than this, uh, rather than trying to discourage the people here, he's saying to them in th- verse 13, but look, all this will turn out for an occasion for testimony, for my name to be glorified, and for you in a very unique way to bring glory to me. Look, I don't know if we're going to get to that point in this country, I do know that even as we speak, there are people in this room who are, whatever, dragged before an employer or before some government official or what. Or maybe it's just a relative who just really are not happy that you are making everybody else feel uncomfortable because you don't want to get wasted at Thanksgiving dinner. And so they bring, it becomes like an inquisition. Who, who has been in an inquisition like that? Anyone here? Who has been an inquisitor like that in the past? <laughs> you know, and, and so, but for the grace of God, that's who we are. But, but the point is, Jesus says, when that happens, don't freak out. Just remember, let patience possess your soul. Remember, don't love this world, the praise of men. Remember what the scribes, they, they love being greeted in the marketplace. Hey, rabbi, hey, scribe. Ooh, I really like being called scribe. Don't like the praise of men. Don't forget about the money. Your, your employer, you know, doesn't, you know, wants you to whatever, cut corners, and you have to give an answer to that. Do not love this world. Rather, be encouraged looking for the blessed hope of his return. That's the reason he's, he's telling you this is going to be like birth pangs. You're not going to be uh, immune to this happening. But the whole time, again, actually, let's put the verses up. This, there's three things. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The second thing is look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the third thing, if, you're been, if, if you've been raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And so the chapter is an encouragement in that way. But let's read verse, uh, let's read, uh, let's read verse 16. It says, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Now, this has actually happened in, among other places, China. In China, I know missionaries there, and the missionaries, at least things are changing a little bit. 20 years ago, the Americans there who who were single and wanted to be married, they, they were basically instructed and they agreed that they couldn't marry an, a, a Chinese person who had grown up in communist China. Why? because there was so much built-up distrust in, in families, not just a few, just throughout the entire country of a billion people, to rat on your own relatives. There was such inbred, if you will, distrust. And, 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 and anyone who um, has never read this book, I sound like Kenny Brown, who, by the way, when Kenny Brown says this, you should take him to heart. Tortured for Christ. 
should be required reading. Every single Christian should read this book. And, and it, it's just a book. It's by Richard Wormbrand, and it, it's just about his time during so, the Soviet era of living, being imprisoned in Romania. Relatives turning relatives in. Again, Jesus is saying in this chapter, this is going to be happening with increased frequency. Verse 17, it says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Look, if, 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 you do, uh, if you do an inventory of your life and if you do an inventory of life and you realize, you know, everybody likes me. Everybody likes me. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. I, I, I am not suggesting that you need everywhere you go to be uh, telling every single person that you meet about Jesus Christ. That's, I, I, I doubt that's what you're supposed to do. The Bible says we do things decently and in order. But if you do an inventory of your life and, and you realize, boy, there's no one really who has an issue with me, it means, I suggest, you need to be wearing your faith a little bit more on your sleeves. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possessed your soul. Now, why would he say not a hair of your head uh, shall be lost because two verses before that, it's that he says some of you will be put to death. It means that your soul will be preserved. You're looking for that blessed hope of the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your soul can't be touched. Listen, not a hair of your head can be can be singed or touched or what plucked out or whatever unless God ordains it. And there are testimonies in the Fox uh, uh, the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and many other testimonies of strange things, of people not dying and f- being burnt by fires and this type of thing. But there were tens of thousands of people, including this month in North, North Vietnam, of people who are put to death. But verse 19 says, but by your patience possess your souls. In other words, as it is happening, remember Don't be loving this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. As it is happening, look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of your Lord Jesus Christ. As it is happening, if then you were raised with Christ, remember, just seek those things that are above. Just consciously, if you are in some season of persecution, just seek those things which are above. That's the idea. Verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem... Surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not, not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written must be fulfilled. It, was, it had been written that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Verse 23, but woe. Woe means woe. Something bad's going to happen. To those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For they will be gr- there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive t- into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, again... About three or four weeks ago, we discussed when Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem just prior to his coming into Jerusalem. We discussed why he was weeping, because he knew that everything he saw would be burned. And we, if, you, if you weren't here, you may want to get that, uh, that CD. Josephus recounts that a million Jews were killed when Jerusalem was taken over. The ancient historian Eusebius does say that on the eve of that happening to Jerusalem, uh, there were thousands of Christians, no doubt who 
were in possession of this very chapter who escaped to, uh, from Jerusalem and went to a city that was uh, in a, a northern part of Israel. In any, in, in, but in any event, this is also going to happen just prior to Jesus' return. There is going to be, we saw this in the book of Daniel. If you weren't here on Sunday evenings when we went through the book of Daniel, we went through this whole prophetic um, uh, history and utterances of Daniel where he was talking about these very things that just prior to Jesus' return, the same thing, there's going to be an army unleashed against the Jews. Verse 25 says, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. Of course, we know that whether it's El Nino, global warming, or whatever, there have been uh, the frequency of hurricanes and typhoons, this terrible one this last weekend in the Philippines, has been increasing in frequency like birth pangs. Verse 26, men's hearts will fail them from fear. Now that doesn't have to happen to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It says men's hearts will fail them from fear. That doesn't need to happen to you. But the time to prepare is not a day before that happens. It's the time to prepare is now by being in the word, being in prayer, and, and being with the, the body of, of Christ. It, it, so he's saying, just prior to Jesus, Jesus is saying, just prior to my return, there's going to be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Men's hearts will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. I remember right after 9-11, people in the ensuing weeks, the suicide went, rate went uh, w- way up. The, and, and mental illness was basically out of control. I actually had someone call me in the middle of the night at two in the morning, convinced that they had been exposed to anthrax. I don't know if you remember that whole thing, but right after 9-11, there were people sending anthrax through, through the mail. And people, this guy's heart was failing him. And he was a Christian. He was a Christian who had not been built up in the word of God. And so his heart was failing him. And so whether it's something really intense like that or if it's something maybe not so intense but really extremely uncomfortable like a situation at work or or relatives, we need to be built up in the word of God and just sort of the exercise of not loving the world, of looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ and seeking things not of the world, but uh, which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. No need for your hearts to fail ever, the Bible says. The Bible says fear is a snare. It's a trap. And look, I speak to my own heart too. I'm not free of fear. But I'm a whole lot different than I was 20 years ago, I can tell you. That. It takes a whole lot more to scare me today. And, and, and so and, and, and the word of God being prepared for this, and, and that's what Jesus has been doing. His whole three-year ministry is preparing him really for this chapter because he needs to teach him that, that it's not going to be easy after I am, a, uh, I am taken up into heaven. And it says, it says in verse 27, then... They will see, let's just back up and read verse 26 again. Men's heart will fail from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. 
So as the birth pangs, as the labor pangs, the, the persecution, the deceitful religion, the false messiahs, the people drawing people to themselves, the hurricanes, the pestilences, the famines, as they increase, draw near. Draw near to the Lord and be encouraged because your redemption, your salvation, the, the tra- what redemption really means there is, is the transformation of your body into, into a body of flesh, into your heavenly body, is near, is what he's saying. Okay, I want to just conclude now by asking you all to go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Why did Jesus say here, why does he say here in Luke 21, why does he refer to the Son of Man? It says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. That was a reference to the Messiah that had been written 550 years earlier when, the book, when Daniel wrote his book. That was a reference to the Messiah. Jesus, I'm telling you, either he was crazy as a poached egg claiming that he was the guy or he actually was the guy because he is actually saying, that guy that Daniel talked about in Daniel chapter 7, I'm him. And he's called the son of man there. He's also the son of God. The son of man was a messianic title though that the Son of God will also be the Son of God, uh, man. That's what will make the uh, Messiah unique. After Jesus left, actually, a lot of people said, no, he really wasn't the Son of a man. He was just a spirit. That was false doctrine. That was heresy. He was the Son of man and Son of God. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, this is what Jesus is drawing from when he is speaking there in Luke 21. He's drawing from these two verses. This is Daniel who had received this vision from God. And this vision, Daniel was told, was about the end times or the times just prior to the Messiah coming and establishing his kingdom on earth. Verse 13 says, I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, meaning he had always existed, and they brought him near before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom, the one, shall not be destroyed. Listen, God didn't create this world for birth pangs. He didn't create this world for famine, for pestilence, for wars, for violence, for kidnappings, for, uh, for, for men and women to draw people after themselves for their own gain. That's not what he created this world for. And Jesus is telling him, and the chapter, uh, you know, if an unbeliever reads this chapter, they're going to get really scared. But a believer is going to read this chapter and be encouraged. Because Jesus says, look, when all this stuff is happening, you need to just cool out and remember your redemption is near. You just let patience possess your souls. Do not love the world or things in the world. And remember the blessed hope of me that I am coming is what he is saying. And all those birth pangs will be gone. In the parallel chapter in Matthew, he actually makes, well, he makes this reference actually in scripture to a woman, you know, after her, you know, when, when the baby's actually delivered, she forgets all the pain leading up to it. When she's holding that baby, 
She forgets the, I'll never forget the first time when my son Sam was born. My poor wife. She didn't take any meds. Crazy woman. For any five of our kids, all five, no meds. And, and, and just seeing her shake in pain, wow. But man, when she held her first son, all the memory of the pain was gone. And Jesus used the same metaphor. He says, when I come, when I return and establish my kingdom, you will live in such a way, the world will live in such a way, there will be no remembrance of those birth pangs anymore. Now that is a blessed hope. So I'm just going to call the worship team up. I apologize for taking a little longer today. I I just felt like we needed to um, get through this chapter. The chapter had to be read as a whole. But uh, if you've been asked to pray, can you uh, come up as well? Look, if anything, if uh, anything that I talked about in the sermon or anything Jesus said or any of the scripture that was put up on the screen has just stirred up your heart and you feel like a need to pray about it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And guess what? If ever there is a place which is safe to pray about it, it's here. You're with your family, the family of God. And I'd just like you to come up during the closing worship song and pray. Do not love this world or things um, of this world. That's a that's a tall order that Jesus gives us. But by his grace and his spirit and through prayer and through encouragement of the body of Christ, it's not only possible, it's a certain fact that it will happen if you continue in those things. Prayer and being in the word and fellowship. If you'd like prayer for that, please come up. If, if there is really anything else in going on in your life where, where you may not be in the middle of a stadium in North Korea, but man, about, about to be executed, but man, it feels a little bit like it at home, at, at work, wherever, with friends, in your neighborhood, and you just want prayer. that God would give you the grace to embrace those, that, that scripture, his admonition, his, his, these, the scripture where he's telling us to not love the world, but rather to seek things and set your heart and mind on things above. Come up for, for, for prayer as well, or, or if there's anything else, or if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says we don't come out of our mother's wombs with a relationship with God. We don't come out of our wombs on a path that is headed to heaven. We actually, the Bible says we come out of our wombs on a path that's headed to hell. And at some point, we need to be born again. We need to enter into a relationship in which God takes us out of that path that was leading to hell and on the path which is leading to heaven. And that can only be done by faith. We can't be removed from one path to the other by trying to live a good life. Or nor can, are we prevented from going from this path to that one because of any bad thing that we've ever done. It's just simply a, a relationship based on faith. God loves you so much he died for you that no matter what you have done in your past, he will gladly receive you and transfer you from this path to that one. If you've never done that, if you've never entered into a relationship with like uh, that, it's a simple prayer of faith. Please come up as the, uh, as the worship team begins. But why don't we rise and, and pray, and then um, I'll leave you to the worship team. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for this blessed hope, the blessed hope of your appearing, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, your word says, by patience, possess our souls. That's a, that's a strange verse. What does that mean? I pray that you would, Lord, even as we leave here today, that you would continue to teach us 
what it means to, by patience, to possess our souls, Lord, to embrace you for who you are, to uh, really be completely relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on you, and not on our own wisdom. We can't keep our own souls by our own wisdom, our own strength, our own uh, life. It's just by you, Lord, and believing in you, patiently believing in you, resting in you, trusting in you. Lord, we thank you that these things, we, we don't have to manufacture them. We don't have to somehow dig them up. You tell, them, you tell us if we ask for them, you'll give them to us. And Father, I just pray, Lord, also for anyone here not in a relationship with you, Lord, that they would settle that business before they leave this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.